Our scripture lesson is taken from Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 5, page 1760 in the Pew Bibles. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call him on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May the word of the Lord. May we pray. Help me, Lord, to bring intellectually and emotionally the realities of this day almost 2,000 years ago. Pray for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who alone can make the written word come alive for us. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. This is one text, Romans chapter 10, and I want to read another text over in Ephesians chapter 4. And I have one more after that. So if we turn to the right to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, this is what we say, what we read. In verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7, page 1821. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, if you notice B at the bottom of the page, that's Psalm 68, verse 18. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And if we look at scripture, we begin to realize, as we reflect back uh, over a year ago, that Christ descended somewhere. Now, Christ was not buried. Christ was laid on a slab in a newly hewn rock tomb. So when we think about the symbolism of buried with him in baptism, it doesn't mean immersion. It means that Christ was laid 
on a slab. He never went underground. My friend Baxter, who came here with us one time, I was with him yes, uh, Thursday when we buried his father. His father was lowered down into the earth. And we could truly say that Baxter's father was immersed under the dirt. But Christ was not. He was laid on a slab. The tomb was sealed. And then the tomb was opened. Sometime Saturday night. Sometime after the end of the Jewish Sabbath, which is sundown on Saturday. At some point, the, the stone was rolled away, having been sealed under Pontius Pilate's authority. The stone was rolled away. Jesus never descended anywhere into the earth. So what does it mean that he descended? What it means is that he went to the abode of the dead. His body did not descend. His soul, his human soul, his human spirit descended into what in the Hebrew Bible is called Sheol. And in the Greek translation of Sheol is called Hades. So Jesus descended into the netherworld, the world below. Scripture speaks of heaven as up and Hades is down. But if we really think about quantum physics, both heaven and hell, in one sense, are with us here and now. If you go through a wormhole. So as the Bible pictures it, the place where departed spirits go is down until the resurrection of Jesus. And this is very important. So now let's look at Psalm 68 for a moment. And uh, if we will turn back to the left, Psalm 68. That's on page 903, page 903. And let's look beginning at verse 17, Psalm 68, verse 17. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. What do we have a picture here? We have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, which was created at Mount Sinai, eventually coming into the city of Jerusalem to be put in the temple that Solomon completed in 966 B.C. What is it? The Lord is coming. You know, we don't think of it that way, don't, do we? We think of the, them carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, just some kind of simple thing. You remember David's great mistake? He'd learned from the Philistines how to worship God. 
The Philistines had put the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. And so David says, well, okay, no big deal. And what happens is one of the Levites, a man named Uzzah, seeing that the oxen stumble and the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall off the ox cart, he reaches forth his hand to study it, steady it. And he went immediately to Sheol. Immediately. He wasn't buried at that moment. His soul went to Sheol. David learned a lesson. He got mad at God. He named the place Perez Uzzah because he was mad at God. And so he studies the Bible, consults with the high priest and the Levites, and he determines the Levites are going to have to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. It's kind of the way that the military in Great Britain uh, carry the, the coffins of the dead up here. So they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And as they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem and up to Mount Zion, where they're going to put it inside the temple, they're having an enormous celebration. There's praise, there's cymbals, there's shouting, there's trumpets, and all of that. And that's what's in view here. What's really going on at that point in the unseen realm Remember, we only live in the seen realm, but we also do live in the unseen realm. But we operate with our senses in the seen realm. But in the unseen realm, something absolutely amazing is happening in Psalm 68. And what is it? Verse 17 again of Psalm 68. The chariots of God are Thousands, tens of thousands, and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. You remember when Elisha prayed for the Lord to open his servant's eyes because the servant was terrified, and then the servant could see in the unseen realm what Elisha could see? The chariots of the Lord and the horsemen of Israel. Is that a comfort to realize that right here on Robison Road, there are chariots of fire? Wow. And so, this is the psalm. And notice what happens next in verse 18. When you ascended on high... You led captives in your, in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. What is he saying? He's saying that the ultimate king of Israel, who was not David, not Solomon, not even the last free king of, of Judah, Josiah, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's in view here. And he ascends on high. What does that mean? As we look at it in light of what Paul says, both in Romans 10 and in Ephesians 4. What it means is that the Lord Jesus Christ descended into the realm of the dead. Where all the dead prior to the resurrection of Christ went. 
Now, you remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And you remember that Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. What that means is that he's at the banquet next to Abraham, just as uh, Peter is asking the Apostle John, who's at the Last Supper and is in the bosom of Jesus. In other words, he's as they laid down to eat, he's there right next to Jesus. And that's the place of Lazarus, that poor man, that beggar. And in the same realm, but with a great gulf fixed, is the rich man who never even noticed Lazarus. They're both in the same place, and yet there's a great gulf fixed. And so what happens is, that the Lord Jesus Christ descends into Sheol, into Hades. For the righteous dead, it isn't what we think of as hell at all. It is a holding tank waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to descend and to bring them up. And what he does is this. When he rises from the dead, sometime after sundown tonight, when he rises from the dead, what he does is he's on the earth for 40 days. He eats, he drinks, he even ate fish in front of his disciples. He could be handled. He rises from the dead in the same body that he was crucified in. And then... He ascends to heaven. And when he ascends to heaven, what he does is that he both receives gifts from people and gives gifts to people. It's a both-and thing. And that's how Paul uses it in Ephesians 4. When he ascended on high, he received gifts. And he, in turn then, on Pentecost Sunday, gives gifts to the church. So that's what's in view here. You notice again in verse 18, when you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. In that train, he brings people who have been rebels. He is... Fulfilling the type of the ancient kings of Judah who received tribute from their enemies when they defeated them. But in Christ's case, people like you and like I were rebels. We rebelled against. We turned our ears away, our stiff necks, our hard hearts. We rejected the grace that was offered to us until one day, to one sweet day, the gospel came to us in the power of the Holy Spirit and sweetly drew us, else we had perished in our sins. And so what's in view here is Christ's ascension after Christ descending into Sheol. Think with me, if you will, for then a moment. Without the cross, there is no crown. Without the descent into hell, there is no ascent to heaven. Jesus suffers. 
And what is so amazing as we think about this on Holy Saturday is this. Christ, when he cried out on the cross, Friday afternoon, the words of Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand that when Jesus hung on the cross as he's dying, he really was forsaken by his Father? Because the Father laid your sins and my sins on the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't end when he breathes his last. It doesn't end when he gives up the ghost. The ghost goes somewhere. And Jesus is abandoned by his Father. As he is laid in the tomb. And his soul, his spirit, descends into the realm of the dead. He's there on Holy Saturday, abandoned by God, the Father. He who was equal with the Father in his deity, who became a human being like us, and went through everything you and I ever go through. Do we cry at tombs? Do we weep as we bury a loved one? As we see the dirt being put on top of a casket, do we cry? Do we feel abandoned at death? I want you to understand that Jesus felt abandoned at death because he really was abandoned in Sheol until sometime Saturday after sundown. The stone is rolled away and he ascends out of Sheol. So think about it. This day, as you remember, what precedes Easter? Easter is the crowning of the king. Easter is what leads to Pentecost. Easter is what leads to Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father. In your abandonment, remember Christ, who was abandoned for you and me. And never, ever allow yourself to fail to suck comfort from the abandonment of Christ in the tomb. May we pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless this meditation as we ponder it, as we think of what it must have been like not only to have suffered an excruciating death on the cross, but then to have been taken down, the body laid on a slab, the soul, the ghost, the spirit, then descending into the abyss to bring up from the abyss those who had trusted in your word, Lord, and to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Comfort us. Encourage us. Give us, Lord, I pray, like no other Easter we have ever experienced, to look forward to tomorrow morning 
because Christ was abandoned for us, but not forever. For Jesus' sake, amen.